On the Empire Podcast this week, we learn how to pronounce Amanda Seyfried... Amanda Seyfried? Amanda Thingy's surname with help from the lady herself. We get to the bottom of Jason Sudeikis' moustache and we review We're the Millers, Lovelace, Jurassic Park 3D and more. Plus all the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that deals with suspect packages by taking pictures of them and posting them on Twitter. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by my very own three amigos ready to prune the hedges of many pod villages. First up... Is Helen O'Hara, a woman so geeky she's dedicated her life to making a detailed spreadsheet of the amount of time Hugh Jackman spends on screen with his shirt off. It takes a long time and I've had to look very, very closely at a lot of films where he's had his shirt off. Does this include Rise of the Guardians where he's a bunny that throws boomerangs and doesn't wear any clothes? Yeah, yes. So that's like an hour and a half? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Wow. How much time does he spend with his bottom out? Um, not very much at all. Yeah, there's a bit in... Uh, in that film that's called Someone Like You or Animal Attraction, depending on where you are. Uh, there's a bit of a bottom in that. Okay. Next up is a man who's dedicated his life to building a theme park where customers can pay up to $10,000 to see Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern in their very own custom-built paddocks. It's Jurassic Park Park. It's Nick DeSimlian. Autoerotica? <laughs> what? I don't know. I just love that line that Gennaro says when they're looking at the scientists. He just goes, autoerotica? And I, I always like to think that he actually is hoping that they are some kind of sexy yeah. sex toy scientists. Gennaro's uh, a great character in that, isn't he? In Jurassic Park. We'll be discussing Jurassic Park later on because it, it's being re-released this week in 3D. But isn't there a line in the movie earlier on when he gets completely confused about who actually has to approve Jurassic Park? Yes, it's it's uh, contentious because I put this in my list of Jurassic Park nitpicks but uh, several people have tweeted me to say that he's actually... The line is... It's a little bit boring. But the line is... Stop uh, boring, it's great. Uh, in 24 hours, if they're not convinced, I'm not convinced. Which should be the other way around, shouldn't it? Well, yeah, but some people have tweeted me to say, well, he's actually referring to the other car and to uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern, he's saying if they're not convinced, I'm not convinced. And then other people won't be convinced. So it's a big chain of convincing. Mm, I'm not so sure about that. Oh, okay. But anyway. all he needs to do is just point his finger and go, eh. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> done that. More hot Jurassic Park chat later on. Jurassic Park. Uh, let's move on very swiftly to a man who's dedicated his life to editing this podcast and therefore cutting out all the bits where we go off on a tangent like we did just now and libel half of Hollywood uh, and for that Ali Plum we are forever grateful now you'll never guess what I heard about Findy and all of that was done with a banana wow mm, backwards how does that even I have no idea exciting news to bring to you guys now because at long long last we have a sponsor on the Emperor Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code, which is EMPIRE9. And for more details, uh, listen right to the very end of this podcast where I'll be dishing up all the uh, important technical info uh, about Squarespace, what they are, how they work, uh, in terms of making you a great website for yourself. Absolutely. I'm very excited about this. Uh, you know, to have a sponsor on board, it feels like we're Coronation Street all of a sudden. So, well done us. Wow. Does this mean we need to start having more drama in our personal lives? Shut up, Helen! There we go. Moving on, very swiftly to your questions, which you've been sending in via Twitter all week. Uh, this one's from at Jackson 74 I'm quite impressed with the, the questions this week. It was a tough selection. If you didn't make it, then I apologise. Um, anyway, from Jackson 74 asks, which films are you most and least looking forward to in this summer of death? That is 2015. Let's put this in context. Before we begin, can I just list everything that's 
currently penciled in for a 2015 release. We'll be here yes. all day. Yeah, give me a couple of minutes. Let's start with the bigger ones. Avengers 2. Yes. Star Wars Episode 7. Yes. Josh Trank's Fantastic Four. Pirates 5. Duncan Jones' World of Warcraft. Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. Assassin's Creed. Inferno. Pitch Perfect 2, if you want to put that in there. Pixar's <laughs> Inside Out. Kung Fu Panda 3. Mockingjay Part 2. Mission Impossible 5. Terminator 5. Bond 24. Finding Dory. Independence Day 2. And Superman vs. Batman. And the Inbetweeners too, don't forget. That's also been scheduled for 2015. Also, Neil Blomkamp's Chappie, which is obviously a smaller budget thing than, than most of these, but equally exciting, I would say. Did I mention Ant-Man? Because we should put Ant-Man in Ant-Man's there as well. Ant-Man's in there as well, yeah. Not really that great in terms of originality. There are not a lot of original properties uh, out there that year. Remember that we never... We don't tend to hear about the original projects quite so far in advance, and we certainly don't hear enough to get really excited about them far in advance. So there may be a fantastic slate of original projects for 2015 that we just don't know about yet. So, you know, I don't want to sign the death knell of, of cinema that year. Yeah, and, and, and besides, yet. I'm not saying the death knell of cinema because I'm, I'm massively excited about pretty much 85% of those those movies and, and Pirates 5. You just don't know. You Based. just don't it's know. It's possible, the sure. two The two that I've got a big question mark next to are Pirates 5 and Terminator 5 because if Cameron had said he was coming back and doing another Terminator film then I'd be excited but without Cameron I just think none of them have been much good and I don't know how they're going to get around the fact that Arnie is now really old I also feel like Terminator 5 might not happen for 2015 I don't know if it's moved far long enough for it to actually Materialize quite so soon. Yeah, I'm surprised honestly that uh, that that Warner's moved our movie mountains to put Batman and Superman, uh, whatever the film ends up being called, sure. uh, into 2015. Because I know they think it'll make a billion, and it probably will. But at the same time, would you not want to get out of the way of some of the juggernauts that are there already? Or maybe they're thinking their juggernauts big enough to make other juggernauts move. But uh, that that's a strange one. I I can't remember a year like this. Um, it's it's hugely exciting. Well, speaking of moving, uh, Nick and I were just discussing the fact that there are rumours that Star Wars will move from its traditional May spot into an end-of-year kind of Christmassy spot, which I, I give some credence to because I think there were, there were stories that JJ had reservations about a 2015 release date and this would go some way mm. to kind of relieving any worries on that score. And you could use the tagline, December the 4th be with you. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Having said that, I mean they're they're talking about filming in January. Theoretically, they absolutely could, but if if their superstar director has concerns and they want to alleviate those concerns, then this might be a way to do it. Jurassic Park four that we mentioned. Oh yeah, that was top of my list. Yeah, that's penciled in for 2015 uh, at the moment. Although again, Colin Trevorrow said that it probably will move. Uh, I would get out of there. Get out of there! Um, as quickly as they possibly could. My dodgy one is Independence Day 2, because Will Smith is not involved. He said, no, I won't be part of this. And what's sad is that we've seen recently with Roland Emmerich, he's had two big clunkers. Uh, we were more forgiving of um, White House Down, but we can all agree, Helen, mm. that Anonymous was <gasps> unanimously agreed oh. upon oh, as being Oh, why terrible. did you mention the A word? She's off again. <laughs> I'm so angry. She's oh, setting no. fire to things now. It's... But what I'm saying is, is that he's not been on a good run of form and it feels to me like he's going back to Independence Day because he needs a hit. And without Will Smith on board, I'm not sure whether I'm that keen to see it. As long as Goldblum's on board, I'm there. Amen. Likewise. Yeah, I'm slightly worried about Independence Day uh, too as well because it seems to be just the first movie. They just rebuild 
landmarks and then more aliens come and blow them up again. That would be genius if the movie starts with the White House and the construction worker is just putting the last bit of paint on the White House and then it just goes boom. That would be worth 10 bucks to watch. Yeah, it'd be like the uh, the end of uh, Superman 3 where the, uh, the worker has... you ever remember that when Superman 3 when Bad Superman uh, straightens the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Oh, yeah. And it's so cheap that they do it with a with a back screen projection, and they get some guy from central casting to play an Italian uh, fender of, <laughs> of of Leaning Tower of Pisa models. And Superman comes along in the background and straightens it, and he goes, "No, why are you doing that, Superman?" <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, he's got all the new straight. <laughs> Tower of Pisa models and Superman comes back and pushes it back into his original position he goes oh no Superman why not my voice Helen the voice of an actor from Central Casting sounded Casting. like your voice Chris that's all listeners do not write in saying that that's racist it's not <laughs> no it's it's xenophobic of Italians it's a completely different thing I thought it was pretty spot on myself uh, yeah anyway uh, the, I guess the big one I'm really excited about which is what the uh uh, Connor Jackson asked is Avengers 2 which Avengers I'm, 2 I'm massively massively excited about Age of Ultron Age of Ultron indeed um, very very excited about that I hope uh, I know I, I trust in Joss Whedon I think he knows what he's doing and I think he'll be able to uh, make new additions to the cast Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and maybe some other ones that we haven't haven't heard yet well the uh, interesting rumour this week that uh, Elizabeth Olsen's up for Scarlet Witch which would seem like pretty good casting to me so uh, we'll see if that actually materialises but that's certainly been widely reported this week and Bond 24 interesting the first Bond movie to ever hit a, a billion dollars there's a lot riding in this one Sam Mendes is back for Bond 24 part of a I believe a two movie arc written by John Logan which is going to be interesting so uh, what, what do we feel about that one at the moment do you think will Skyfall lightning in a bottle will it hit a billion dollars again or is Bond now up there with the other big players I think this has every opportunity to be something really quality because I found, obviously it's been patchy so far with Craig, but if he gets two solid ones in the bag, he could be one of the best Bonds mm. there's ever been. Uh, Quantum Solace is just a blip, let's call it that. But I love the idea of a two-film arc. I think that's mm. a, an impressive amount of forethought, and if they do get that right, then we can really see some character development with Bond uh, where we haven't seen that Yeah, with I mean, Craig. The, the Bond films have really become event movies again, and it's been a while. So I guess Casino Royale was like that, but, but Quantum of Solace just felt a bit kind of flimsy, didn't it? And I think they have to, Mendes has to come back with something huge, and uh, I'm excited about that, definitely. Yeah, uh, and anything you're least excited about? You've, you've already said, Nick, that an alley that maybe Independence Day 2. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Terminator 5. Or ID Forever, as it might be called, which I really don't like that title, but anyway. I'm looking at all the animations, and frankly, there's, apart from maybe the two Pixar movies, because. Um, uh, Inside Out it's a big doctor movie and so I'm already there uh, Finding Dory I'm less excited about uh, but I'm looking down the, the rest of the list The Smurfs 3 <sighs> that's the one um, I'm least excited about yeah Alvin and the Chipmunks 4 Kung Fu Panda 3 The Penguins of Madagascar although I loved Madagascar 3 but an untitled this is really exciting Untitled Illumination Entertainment 2015 project don't change that title just keep it as it is <laughs> I'm on board for Penguins of Madagascar I don't know what you, you know. It's got yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. It's got evil penguins. Madagascar Three was really fun. Yeah, I'm all right, sold. I've changed my mind completely. And the penguins are the best thing in Madagascar. So now we have another question from someone whose name I didn't write down. I'm so so sorry. Uh, with the replacement of Todd in Kickass Two, uh, played by Evan Peters in the original, of course, and um, not Evan Peters in the sequel. Uh, what's the most jarring change of actor in a sequel? I've got a fact. Ali, I was really impressed by all your facts on the podcast last week, so I've come armed with one of my own. Um, in Back to the Future 2, they couldn't get Crispin Glover back, so they uh, hired a guy called Jeffrey Weissman, 
to play Marty McFly's dad, and then they put prosthetics on his face to make him look more like Crispin Glover. And Crispin Glover actually sued them, saying that they were stealing his likeness. It was more the archive footage that he was pissed off about because they didn't ask him for the permission to use the footage that they used for two when they showed clips that you see from one and that's what they sued him the most for he got oh. most of the money off the archive footage even now you've got a better fact than me that's not the only back to the future not blooper but incidents where characters have, have been replaced with new actors obviously got elizabeth shoe replacing claudia wells and um sad stories that claudia wells bowed out because her, her mother was sick so that's why she she didn't do it but she did come back to acting but not as successfully as maybe she would have liked to the other big ones i think in the comic book world would be katie holmes and maggie Gyllenhaal. Thank you. And then, of course, you've got Don Cheadle and Terence Howard in the Iron Man series. Mm. Those are the ones that people are kind of aware of. They're very much at the forefront. But I think the intriguing ones are movies that you don't necessarily watch when they're out in the cinema, but then you, you see the sequels and go, wait, in Robocop 3, is that... Oh, that's an entirely different person. Talking of jarring, it's an old movie. I just watched on the weekend for the first time Beverly Hills Cop 3. There is no John Ashton in that movie. Uh, there is a guy who looks like John Ashton. He's not playing the same character. But they basically just went... It, I went to Wikipedia to find out why he wasn't in it, and apparently he was shooting a different movie, so they just got another guy. Um, but I, I was outraged. My worst one on film is um, is probably The Mummy 3, replacing Rachel Weisz with Maria Bello. Now, I like Maria Bello. I think she's great. But you suddenly realised how much chemistry Weiss and Frasier had, and it just didn't... It didn't work at all. It was just lying there, leaden on the screen, the whole relationship between the two of them. And, and the whole time they were sort of, you know, professing love for each other, you're like, but you're cheating on your real wife. What's going on? It just feels wrong. The other thing I think we should just kind of tip a hat to it is the James Bond franchise. Obviously, when George Lazenby came along, I'm sure people were aware that it was a different James Bond. Uh, but that may have come across as jarring. And then you've got the um, Ben Affleck, Harrison Ford... Alec Baldwin, Jack Ryan switcheroos. Maybe people were surprised by Ben Affleck coming in. But I don't think those really count. The, the one I, I would say within the last decade, Matrix had for the Oracle a woman called Gloria Foster. She unfortunately passed away before mm. the third one was actually shot. So they, it, they replaced her with a woman called Mary Alice. But one which is a little bit left field here, and so I hope you'll indulge another random fact here, is that in an interview with a vampire, Tom Cruise, in Queen of the Damned, Stuart Townsend mm -hmm. and what I find interesting about Stuart Townsend is he has been in line for like two or three very big roles but has been kind of you know shepherd's crooked away at the last minute twice he was going to be Aragorn mm -hmm. but he over two months of rehearsal just I wouldn't say came to blows but there, there were difficulties and he was replaced last minute by somebody who didn't look anything like him and was substantially older and then he was meant to be Fendral in Thor but Kenneth Branagh and him realised that he wasn't quite right for the role of this Aaron Flynn-like, mustachioed slickster. So he was removed there too. So yeah, I feel bad for the guy. He could have achieved nerd immortality twice over and it just hasn't worked out for him. Well, maybe he's the next Henry Cavill and there's something because, you know, Cavill missed out on And yeah, stuff. I think the main, the main reason for him being cast as Aragorn or certainly the announced reason was that uh, Peter Jackson thought he looked too young. So, you know, maybe his time is yet to come. You were saying just before we started that you hadn't actually noticed that it was Evan Peters, <laughs> that it wasn't Evan Peters in Kick-Ass 2. No. Okay. I, I wasn't I jarred. Noticed, I, I remained unjarred. Yeah, I was totally unjarred. I, I noticed the change from Amari Hardwick to Morris Chestnut, but I totally didn't notice they'd replaced yeah. Todd. So I'm sorry, guys. Um, what I'm really hoping for is that in Transformers 4, uh, Mark Wahlberg will be playing Shia LaBeouf's character <laughs> with no explanation. And it would just be like, I'm Sam Wicky. That would be amazing. Quick quiz. What did Katie Holmes go to do instead of The Dark Knight? 
Was that mad money? Correct. Five points to Helen O'Hara. But it wasn't a case where she she didn't turn down The Dark Knight to do mad money. She no, was... but whilst that was going on, she was shooting that film, so it's a kind of a weird, this is mad what you could have won. Katie's not coming out of her trailer again. It's Holmes. I don't know, I just hear like some muffled crying. I don't know exactly what's happening there. Come on, anyway. Mad Money is the film that The Dark Knight could have been. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, by the way, uh, the guy who plays Todd in Kick-Ass 2 is Augustus Prue. It's a movie star name, if I've ever heard one. He's a Hunger Games refugee, surely. As a, uh, as a, as a person who has watched far too much Sunset Beach uh, when it was used to run on Channel 5 in the mornings, I kind of wish that movies would do what really bad American soap operas do when they recast someone at the beginning of an episode go the role of such and such will be played by so and so that would be helpful I think I thought you were going to say I hope I wish that movies would do what Sunset Beach did and have a baby and a dog hold a conversation to explain everyone's backstory well yes that, that would, would help that would be great that would help I'm surprised Michael Bay's already not trying it uh, okay let's move on next question is from at Lee Anthony Murray who asks what's the funniest sex scene in a movie slash TV you mentioned MacGruber last week I hate MacGruber I think it's a terrible film but I agree with you the sex scene is very very funny especially when it involves a ghost yes in the second go round both sex scenes are hilarious yeah. in, in MacGruber uh, I'm going to give another shout out for Hot Shots it is the first one Mm-hmm. And it involves fried eggs and bacon, and also yeah. Naked Gun. Um, you know the 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 whole train going in the tunnel and steam piston, <laughs> and just utter genius. I can't do this topic without mentioning the uh, the tall guy, uh, the great Mel Smith, died recently. Uh, hilarious sex scene where uh, Emma Thompson and Jeff Goldblum go on a date for the first time. She's very forward thinking, so to take the 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 pressure and tension of going on a date. She says, let's have sex first. And so they have this incredible sex scene where they're bouncing up in pianos and falling out of cupboards and being hit by fruit, toasting the bum. It's it's really, really good. I just remember the giant condom. Do you practice safe sex, you naked gun? And they just rub each other and fall on the bed. I've, I've got two I'd like to add. Uh, Team America, World Police, obviously. Mm. Uh, puppets having sex, never not funny. Yep. Um, and uh, Lethal Weapon 3, where they compare scars before getting it on. I actually find that quite very, very funny, but also quite sexy, which is quite you know Ooh. a bit different. Helen O'Hara fans at Twitter dot meltdown. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Given that we started the day with a man professing his love for you on Twitter, well, in slightly cruder terms, we're ignoring the room where any sex scene in the room is hilarious, but not for reasons that were any way intentional. I, I can't bring myself to watch the room. I, I, I draw a line that films are so bad. We all sexyed out. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I'm usually asleep at that point. We're all so. smoking cigarettes, so. First guest time, Amanda Safe. Amanda is, it says here, one of Hollywood's hottest properties through the likes of Mean Girls, Mamma Mia, Les Miserables, and Chloe. She's proved that she can sing, she can dance, she can act, and she has the word minge tattooed on her foot. True story. This week, she stars as Deep Throat star Linda Lovelace in Lovelace and Ali went along to speak to her about all manner of things except the tattoo of Minge on her foot because he's a chicken Amanda can I start by being really unprofessional and asking you how you officially pronounce your surname because I've Seyfried Seyfried not Freed Frid yeah well depending on who you ask I say Seyfried my sister says Seyfried my first question is three weeks between shooting this film you had a three week gap then you had Les Mis yeah how do you get out of what is quite a, an intense film and then into another intense film, but for a totally different reason? You know, I, I wondered that. I still don't know the answer. I think it's just that you have to just jump right into something else. I think the uh, the singing, the, the rehearsal time really just, I just, it's like I jumped into cold water and I didn't 
look back because it was hard to get out of to get out of Linda because it's the first time I ever bit into something like that, like a real life person. That to play a character like that, it's you have to embody that person. And then of course I'm playing an 18 year old virgin in the 1830s. But it, 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 I don't know what I don't know the answer to that. It's a really long winded way of telling you that I don't know the answer. <laughs> For what it's worth, I must compliment you on Cosette because for me, Cosette has always been the most irritating character from Les Mis. But you managed to make me like her a lot. Thanks. You know, that was uh, something that Tom and I discussed in the beginning. We're like, God, how do we make her important? How do we make her empathetic and and have more of like a mature, maternal essence to her? Now, have you confessed to anybody yet that you haven't actually watched Deep Throat all the way through? I don't even know why I saw a little bit of it. I mean, I knew what it was. I, I guess I just wanted to see. I just, I wanted to um, understand what their whole, what the point was. So I saw like 15, 20 minutes of it. Gosh, what a, what a boring piece of, piece of, um, piece of film. Yeah, there isn't quite the right word that I can think of. It's a film, I guess, kind of. Yeah, it's like a 63 minute long scene ish i mean it's it's cut you know like a movie and it, it's got a plot and it's funny but um barely charming i have uh, a curiosity question here i gather that you have a chick called linda i do now i should point out that this is a stuffed chick taxidermy chick yeah is it a coincidence that linda is called linda no <laughs> in fact i was given her by a my Costume designer on Lovelace. That's a lovely, lovely gift. And I named her Linda. So sweet. It is a lovely gift, isn't it? It is perfect. This, this, Karen. She really knows. She really gets me. You know. <laughs> I um at university had two stuffed cockerels. Wow. Why? Uh, because I was given them by a. I was a barman at a bar, and a guy left. He went to move to Brazil, and he gave me two stuffed cocks. That's really nice of him. So I've always had these these two stuffed animals, and then I discovered you were the only other person that I've heard of in the world who has them. Yeah. So I mean, listen, it's wow. If you ever want to, I'm sure you wouldn't want to part with them, but if you ever do. Oh really? Yeah. I thought you were about to say compare compare animals. We could have a stuffed animal party. That would be a little weird, but still. Well, you'd have to bring them over, or me bring mm. mine over, and I've got a big gang. Quite intimidated now. We have something that we regularly do on the Empire Podcast, which is called the IMDb Bunker, so the IMD Bunker, because okay. there is so much nonsense on that website, which is just kind of made up. Now, some of them is true. Like, obviously, you are a fan of taxidermy, mm-hmm. and I've got a couple that I'd like you to call bullshit on, okay. which are or are not true, may or may not be true. One, for example, is that you are a big fan of... The weather. That's actually true. I used to be obsessed with the idea of becoming a meteorologist when I was young. But what I realized uh, later on is that I I was actually just obsessed with the idea of being an actress. And I would dress up like Helen Hunt in Twister. And I would uh, scour the internet for um, information on tornadoes. I've got two follow-up questions. Have you ever met Helen Hunt? I have. Have you confessed this to her? I haven't. I didn't get a chance to. Do you have a favorite cloud? Um, I like the, those anvils where they really, they, they're flat and then they really build. And you can see them, especially when you're flying, because they're so long and tall. They just reach towering, they just look like big, bad towers of, of, of demonic storm, you know? It's really exciting, especially when the, when below it's really dark. Have you Pretty watched cool. Chronicle? 
No. It's got an amazing fight scene between two people who have developed superpowers who fight inside a cloud. Oh, that's cool. So that's a tip for you. I thought it was about drugs. Okay, cool. Now, do you collect jeans? Don't collect jeans. And I'll tell you that story. I was 16 year old, 16 years old. It was my first after party after my first award show. I went to the daytime Emmys with my first boyfriend and I had I had had some something to drink. And this woman wanted to uh, ask me a couple questions from TV Guide. And I I answered, but almost like I'm answering now. <laughs> Just, I don't know, mumbling on about, about stuff. And I talked about jeans, and she asked me what I liked about jeans, and I told her. And then she descri- She said, describe your perfect jeans, the pair of jeans. And then, and then ugh, it was just so stupid. And then she took everything out of context and made me sound like an idiot. It follows me around forever. But I have to say... The amount of genes that have been sent in my career, yeah. Upsides, downsides. I mean, I I really prefer not to get any more genes. I, I, I really, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this on record. I give them all to Goodwill. Maybe I keep a few here and there, but it's gotta stop. It's gotta stop. This is what this whole thing is about. Yeah. Calling bullshit on this stuff. This one may be from the same interview. I do not know. Oh. Did you have a crush on Leonardo DiCaprio when oh, you were younger? God, yeah. Of course. Oh, no, that's not bullshit at all. I mean, he. I had a real respect for what he has been doing since he was young. I think that's he. It's part of the reason I wanted to become an actor. Helen Hunt in Twister and Leonardo DiCaprio are your influences. Your... And somewhere in between, it was Jane Seymour from Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah. Oh, that's a good show. Yeah, it was. It's a family show. It was good. We all watched it together. They don't make a lot of those anymore. Did you go for Regina in Mean Girls? I did, but because of that Regina audition, they decided to put me in the movie. And there was no other role but but Karen. I mean, it really fit. It was perfect for me. It was exactly... I had no business playing Regina in my first movie. Uh, Rachel McAdams just nailed it. But I I guess I, I piqued their interest with my audition. I had a very strange take on her. It made her a little bit psychotic. She does have one line, which I love, which she says to you, boo, you whore. I hope that isn't said to you in the street, but do you get mean girl quotes? I do. Do you get, I'm a mouse? Yeah, and on Wednesdays we wear pink. I'm a mouse, duh. And also that people ask me about my boobs all the time, whether or not they can tell the weather. And I thought that's a strange little fusion of two worlds. You know, me wanting to be meteorologist and my movie, my first movie role. I've heard you said that you look back on Mean Girls as your favourite or your, your your proudest moment to an extent. Obviously, I think this must have changed after the stuff you've done recently, but is that still the case to an it's extent? Still, I'm still kind of proud of what I was able to do because I was so terrified. I'm, I'd never, I mean, acting in a film, you don't know, you don't even understand these big cranes coming at you and, and, and you just want to be good and there's no confidence whatsoever. I mean, I... I I've always lacked confidence for whatever reason. And so that was terrifying. And I look back, I still watch the movie, and I'm like, I, 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 did, I didn't do a bad job. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't screw it up. Is it true you were on the front cover of three Francine Pascal books? Yes. No, it's funny, actually. It, I was modeling, and, and sometimes you do book covers. People don't ask you to sign them or anything? No, or... instead of doing, like, catalogs, you do sure. book covers. or You do both, if you can. You do whatever comes to you because sure. it's it's fun, especially when you're 
13, 14, 15. You didn't get the books, did you? Um, yeah, my mom had the books. No, I haven't read them. Because the one that's on IMDb, and I will let go of this, I promise you, I just love the name, is Love and Betrayal and Hold the Mayo. It's deep. You should see the hairstyle. That's, that's enough to, to mm-hmm. repel someone. Do you have a most inspirational acting performance that really makes you think, you know, aside from Helen Hunt, um, makes you want to act, kind of reinvigorates your love of this? Everything that Claire Danes does in Romeo and Juliet, every single scene. Yeah. Oh my God, I could say so many mean things right now about people's performances and various things I've seen over the years, but I'm not gonna, because I'm sure they could say the same about me, but I just have to think. It's just, God, you just opened it, opened the can. Suddenly your head goes, this is what you shouldn't say. Yeah. And here's Basically, I was just thinking of the worst performances of all time. Things people could have done so well and then ruined. It must be frustrating to be an actor and see a role where you go, if I had been the right age at the right time for that, I would have nailed that. Right. Or, or I was the right age and it was the right time and it's fine. You cannot win them all. Uh, and finally, can I ask you what the current state of play is on A Million Ways to Die in the West? wrapped they just wrapped on saturday and it's ready to be to go into post have you seen many rushes like do you have oh a no i don't it? watch rushes actually never watch rushes um i find it really boring because i was there i remember what i did um but but i do know it's going to be one of the funniest things you've ever seen i do something in that movie that you've never seen anybody do in any movie ever that is a huge sentence you know that yes can you hint as to what that might be it's definitely pretty gross and i do it with neil patrick harris but uh no it's just you know really well written and really i mean we've got a quite a cast got some amazing cameos i mean come on everybody wanted to be a part of this movie because it's it's really funny also the title i mean we oh have... I, I never really understood i was like you're gonna change the title right now um I don't it's really long but it makes sense it totally works it's not as good as Hold the Mayo, but it's up there. You're right. Love the trail and Hold the Mayo. Listen, let's make it a movie. Let's call, France, let's call Francine and, and make it a movie. It's a coincidence, but I do have a number, and we're just going to end the interview now. So thank you for being on the Empire Podcast. Thanks. I, I was checking. I couldn't ask it. I mean, I was doing an IMD bunker, and I just couldn't ask her about the minge tattoo on her foot. Amanda, if I ever meet you again, I would love to talk to you about the minge tattoo on your foot. Sounds like a date. Okay, it's competition time brought to you in association with our amazing sponsors, Squarespace. Uh, this offers one listener the chance to win an amazing box set. It's Breaking Bad Seasons 1 to 5, or 5.1, if you will, on Blu-ray. And to do so, all you have to do is answer this very, very simple question. What is the name of Walter White's wife? Not her surname. That's easy. It's Mrs. White. Her first name. Do send your answer along with your name, your address, your contact details uh, to our email address, podcast at Emperor Online, and we'll read out the winner on next week's show. Everyone happy? That's segue seamlessly into movie news time. It's co-read, people. What have we got? Well, I have the news that uh, there's been a bit of a change of cast in the new planned version of Macbeth. So this is the one that sets star Michael Fassbender as uh, the Scot. It's being uh, directed by Justin Kurzel, and it was due to star Natalie Portman as Lady Macbeth herself, 
Uh, she has now apparently dropped out. Um, reasons haven't been given. Um, I, I don't know that it's a schedule clash. It isn't immediately obvious from her uh, list of upcoming projects that it is. But anyway, she's dropped out and Marion Cotillard is in to replace her, which seems like a, a pretty darn good uh, replacement. Uh, another Oscar winner, um, another smoking hot actress and uh, and someone who should be able to go toe-to-toe with Fassbender. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's one to look out for. It's going to be shooting in January. Will she be doing a Scottish accent? <laughs> wow, I'm just having flashbacks to Highlander all of yeah. a sudden. Um, to, to be honest, I bet she won't. I think it will. Uh, it doesn't really matter what Lady Macbeth's accent is, so I think Good it'll point. work very well if she's French. Also, as we know from Monica the Glen, uh, a lot of posh Scots don't sound Scottish at all. They just sound like uh, posh people. Gordon Ramsay doesn't sound Scottish. Colin Montgomery doesn't sound Scottish. You're absolutely right. Thank you very much. Brad Pitt doesn't sound Scottish. Brad Pitt doesn't sound Scottish at all. My news story is just topping up on... We've been talking a lot about Expendables 3 for one reason or another, but just so we're all in the know, an official press release has finally been revealed for exactly what's going on with Expendables 3, and here are the important details if you wish to call anything to do with Expendables 3 important. Right, so who is returning? Well, Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, Jet Li, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, Terry Crews, and Arnold Schwarzenegger will return. Conspicuous by their absence are Mickey Rourke who is not back, and Norris, Chuck Norris, and of course Bruce Willis, who we have discussed in a previous podcast. The newcomers are Wesley Snipes, Antonio Banderas, Mel Gibson, and Harrison Ford. That is to say, no Nick Cage, no Jackie Chan. No Steven Seagal. If that does happen, I guess they're saving that for, I was about to say season four. Feels like it's been going on for that long. <laughs> Episode four. No, no, it's not that one either. Expendables four. They will make it, and hopefully they'll be involved. Uh, otherwise, you've got newcomers, including Kellen Lutz, who you may recognise from Twilight, uh, and people you probably won't recognise. Uh, Ronda Rousey, a welterweight boxing champion, Victor Ortiz, and 24-year-old young and Glenn Powell. Uh, the director is Patrick Hughes, who has directed... He's an Australian director. He directed a Western in 2010 called Red Hill. The writers are... And these are just incredibly difficult to spell and difficult to pronounce names. Creighton Rothenberger and Katrin Benedict. There are more Ks in there that I'm comfortable with. They wrote Olympus Has Fallen, which means they did create the line, who fancies a game of fuck off, you go first. Mm. (laughs) They've already written this, of course, but they did it with Sylvester Stallone. So he will also be involved. Remember, he did write Rocky. I admire Sylvester Stallone's screenwriting skills. Now, the big bad is Mel Gibson. He is playing a character called Conrad Stonebanks who, as it turns out, co-founded The Expendables some years ago. Barney Ross, Stallone, thought he'd killed him. He had not killed him. It turns out he has been uh, dealing guns and drugs and bad stuff, and unfortunately he has decided that now is the time to finally dispose of The Expendables. So it will be a very personal battle between those two hulking figureheads. I happened to glance upon an image of Mel Gibson, which uh, somebody took a photograph of recently. He is built. He's like a tank. He's huge. His arms are the size of my torso. So uh, it looks like he's really bulked up to um, punch Sly in the face. It's a great character's name, I must say. Is it great? I'm not so sure. I've changed my mind halfway through that sentence. Well, is it true that Mel Gibson's insisted that the film shot entirely in Latin? Is that true? Uh, no, Aramaic. Aramaic, yeah. Oh, I was hoping for Sanskrit. Maybe Expendables 4. That would be awesome. That would be incredible. The other news, uh, which is another one of those ones where it's a trailer, so you'll have to actually watch it. J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Team, uh, they've released a mystery trailer. So that's nice. Uh, It doesn't actually give any information about what the project is or what it might be, but it's well worth looking at just to have a good bit of conjecture on the uh, Empire Forum. 
Well, there have been some rumours, of course, in the absence of actual information about what this could be for. Uh, One theory has that it's a lost spin-off, possibly because it's somebody, you know, crawling up onto a beach out of the water. Um, Another theory is that it's a a book trailer. It's not for a movie at all, but a book which apparently uh, JJ has developed alongside author Doug Dorst. And apparently that's called S, full stop. So that would make a certain amount of sense. S, stranger, stranger S. Yeah, you know, it does seem like that might be the initial. We'll see. But uh, the book is apparently a multi-layered literary puzzle of love and adventure. So who knows? It's well worth looking at because, like I say, it's always fun to guess. So uh, JJ Abrams and a mystery trailer. So go do have a look at that on Empire Online. My story involves David Brent from The Office, who apparently is going to get his own movie. Ricky Gervais has kind of resurrected the character recently with a bunch of shorts about him teaching people how to play music, and apparently this movie will centre around Brent uh, trying to make it in the music industry. This is obviously off the back of that. Uh, was it Comic Relief? What was the charity thing he did? Comic Relief, yeah. It was Comic Relief. I personally, that had its moments. The the, the, the fake music trailer, um, the fake music video, I should say, had its moments. But personally, I found the kind of accompanying rubbish, I'd say. I really didn't like it. Where he's in the recording studio, it didn't encourage me. Mm. Um, but it's interesting that he's going back to this well, because he can pretty much do whatever he wants now, can't he? Mm. And he's deciding to go back to the character that made him, but also he's distanced himself from. I wonder if he's looking at what Steve Coogan's doing with Alan Partridge, and Partridge has come back and got his own movie and has become this, you know, huge thing again. And maybe he's thinking, you know, this this character I created, there's more life in him. Mm. I kind of... I I don't know. I kind of think the first two series were kind of perfect and... Yeah, I think it's an interesting thing as well. Brent is very, very different from Alan Partridge in that he was very much, yeah, he was the head of an ensemble, but he was very much part of an ensemble. And as many people watched The Office for Tim and Gareth and Don as they did for David Brent, whereas Alan Partridge has always been, no matter whether it's Lynn or Michael, he's always been the centre of that show. He's always been the centre of whatever show he happens to be on at the time. Uh, and so I think there's a, there's a difference. You can take that character and translate it to, to film easily. But can you take David Brent, and presumably there wouldn't be a Tim or a Gareth or a Don, or even, uh, you know, a big Keith, you know, and create a whole new set of characters? Possibly. He, he needs sweetness to, to go with him. I, I find when I'm enjoying David Brent, I, I enjoy him knowing that there will be some kind of humanity around the corner or a kind of a, a wry eyebrow from, from Tim. Like, But without the office setting or without an ensemble setting, I agree with you entirely. I think this would be just too painful. And if I get too much Brent in one go... Um, I, uh, I, I I have to stop. <laughs> I don't know. I can I imagine there will be a lot of awkwardness as he attempts to make an album, and I imagine becomes some kind of star and then blows it all. But yeah, I, I, I'm I'm interested. I, yeah, I, I really love the character, and um, you know I, I think that it is the best thing Gervais has done. His his other movies that that he's done have not been great. That's that say. I, I hope there's a great film in there. I mean, Alpha Papa could easily have not been good it turned out really well so you were saying i overheard you in the office saying that was hit about 4.2 million in the uk box office yeah uh, alpha papa yeah it's, it's just got over four million pounds it's very impressive and it's 10, 10 days which is great and i hope it goes on to make 10 million yeah cool no, I, I agree and i think there's been a tendency um for people to just take easy pot shots at ricky gervais over the last few years um but you, you kind of look the fact that the office was brilliant and seminal work and inspired so many shows after it uh, so if he can get back that magic presumably he's working with Stephen Merchant in this one 
I don't know. Nothing. He's. This has literally just been announced. Oh, okay. I think, in the last day or two, uh, there's no news, and there's absolutely no reason why he can't get Mackenzie Crook and Martin Freeman and all those guys yeah, to play true. play roles in the film. The I think people is, really want to see those guys back together. Yeah, but there's uh, there, there is a, a kind of reason. I, I can't imagine outside an office environment, Tim ever wanting to consort with David Brent. I'm sure they can come up with some kind of situation in which Brent tracks have- them all down and. Is Martin Freeman beyond that now? Is he beyond coming down back to do something like that? Pretty sure he. I'm pretty sure. I would like it to be like the World's End, where it begins with (laughs) David Brent desperately trying to get everyone back into the pub so he can tell them some stories of what he's been doing in the music world. So he goes to each of them and they go, "Nope, nope, leave my office, go away now." Uh, Hello, Pod. Yeah, we've broken into the pod booth on a Friday morning uh, to bring you this very special. Uh, addition to our, our news section because overnight after we recorded the podcast proper huge Affleck news broke Helen didn't it it's amazing Casey Affleck will star in 2B2 it's, uh, I, um, I can't believe it no I was, I was thinking more of the other Affleck news there was other Affleck news yes. it must have been totally overshadowed that's by right Casey it must have been huge Casey Affleck news the huge news of course is that overnight Ben Affleck has been confirmed as the new Batman in Warner Brothers and Zack Snyder's untitled Superman Batman project 2015, which has also been given a date uh, in yes, July. July 17th. 2000, July 17th, 2015. And to join us, because we've um, we've lost Nick DeSemlin, is Batman expert Dan Jolin. Hello, Dan. This is huge news. Uh, no one saw this coming. Uh, he wasn't on any of the short lists that had been uh, rumoured. He wasn't on any of those long lists, even. Mm. Uh, he hasn't headlined a studio film since 2003. No. And, yeah. uh, well, of course, in the interim, he's done pretty well for himself he's as a director. Well. But a lot of people thought that Ben Affleck, blockbuster movie star, mm. had uh, fallen by the wayside. So what are your thoughts on this one? Oh, I'm, I'm very surprised in some sense. I'm, I'm surprised because I actually genuinely thought he was moving away into focusing on his career as, as a director and I actually think he's a, he's a very good director I've loved all the films he's made and uh, I think he directs himself very well he seems to direct himself better than other people have been able to direct him in the past in the sense of the quality of the performance he gives so I'm surprised from that perspective I'm also surprised because I thought they were going to go older you know there was talk of Josh Brolin for example now I'm not 100% sure the age difference between Ben Affleck and Josh Brolin it's but not Josh massive. Brolin feels older to me uh, you know he, he feels like uh, 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 a more, how can I put this right, mature presence. I don't think it's a massive difference. I think it's about five years in. Right. Yeah. Right. Four years. Yeah. Um, in another sense, maybe it's not surprising. I mean, Ben Affleck's one of uh, uh, Warner Brothers' uh, guys, you know, in the same way that uh, Nolan is, or Clint Eastwood is, or George Clooney is most of the time. Um, well, of course, uh, there were there were very strong rumours he was offered the, the directing gig on Man of Steel, and also on uh, the Justice League movie. Mm. Uh, my follow in the wake of this of this movie hmm. and some people are saying oh is he dipping his toe in the water by, by being Batman in this one and then will he direct himself as Batman in a in a Justice League movie or the next Batman movie who knows I'm not sure you can do that with the scale of those movies it would it would kill most people has anyone done it anyone directed a movie that big in which they also star not that I can think of off the top of my head but I look forward to being corrected on that I mean I you know I guess you know Mel Gibson did the fight scenes in Braveheart that kind of thing yeah but yeah. but the modern superhero movie with the sheer scale of the effects and so on it's hard to imagine I am honestly surprised that everyone's so surprised by this um, I think he's in the right age group that they were going to be looking at you know mm. 40s basically he's tall he's got a chin he's got dark hair he does have a chin yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it just 
it I kind of read that this morning and my initial reaction before I scrolled through Twitter and read everything else was kind of, ah, oh, all right, sure. What I'm sad about is this means that the beautiful beard he's been cultivating for so long will probably have to go. Can you imagine Batman with a beard? It just wouldn't work. I can. You enjoying the image? Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, just for the sake of saying it, just in case it hasn't tweaked in your mind, yes, he did play in Hollywoodland, the man who played Superman uh, in the uh, TV serial shorts. He's also played Daredevil before another superhero back in the yes. early 2000s. So he's familiar with the world of comics. And don't forget that in uh, the Viewers' universe, he has made a few comics. So don't forget that. Yeah, that's a good point. He's a massive comic book fan. One thing is that Argo was produced by Grant Heslov, George Clooney, and Ben Affleck. That's mm. where Ben got his Oscar for mm. Best Picture, obviously, for Argo, right? So I was thinking earlier today, was there a phone call between Ben Affleck and George Clooney where he just went, <laughs> Don't hey, do it. <laughs> hey, George, George, I'm not asking for your advice. I, 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 I've made my decision, okay? But I'm just telling you I'm going to be Batman. And then there was the biggest sigh in the world mm. from George just going... Ben, Ben, Ben. When are you going to learn? When are you going to learn? But George knows it's a very different thing. George, we're on first name terms. Clooney knows it's a very yeah. different thing nowadays than, than it was then. Uh, it's interesting watching the, the feedback uh, on Twitter because a lot of people are up in arms about this, uh, which kind of baffles me a little bit. Yes, Ben Affleck has been in, in the star of some very, very bad movies and occasionally he's been very bad in some very bad movies, but he's also been very good in some very good movies. And uh, over the last 10 years, I think he's... He's changed as an actor, and he's he's got a certain gravitas, and he's much better now than he was uh, ten years ago in or whenever Shealy came out. So why beat him over the head with that? And as someone tweeted the day, I don't know the guy's name, but someone retweeted this guy going who'd basically gone on the Antical News uh, talkbacks from 2006 when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker, and it was a very very similar end of days kind of approach you know, this is it the franchise is ruined how can this mm. how can this Joker be cast as a Joker etc we also remember of course Craig not Bond Craig not Bond yes I yeah. mean look what happened to the James Bond franchise after Daniel Craig was cast yeah. disaster yeah. ruin yeah. Yeah. absolutely but that won't stop the knee jerks and the, I, the emphasis are on jerks just a couple of other things before we move on I'd love to know the auditions process for this a lot of names were leaked in association mm. with this role obviously uh, Josh Brolin yeah. Max Martini Richard Armitage uh, Ryan Gosling even at one point so mm. did they actually all audition I'd love to know is there an Affleck you know tape out there with him doing the Batman in the suit and with the Batman voice mm. or did they just what will he do the Batman voice though because well, that thing. was Christian Bale's thing that's what Christian Bale did that was his choice no but they, they all did it everyone every Batman yeah, except for Clooney who coasted through the role um, basically did a, a Batman voice with a gruff Keaton did it Kilmer did it uh, except obviously Adam West but for the most part the Batman's the, the Batman actors have, have made sure to differentiate Batman's voice from Bruce Wayne's voice so that no one can put the two and two, and two together I think a little Boston accent a Boston accent would be great yeah. Ghost Walks <laughs> but that's not, that is one of my slight concerns about it is that Ben Affleck does have by nature a kind of higher pitched voice and I've always seen my Batman sounding like Kevin Conroy in the animated series you know with this hmm. deep deep voice um and I, I don't wonder if he's, is he going to go down the, the Christian Bell barking route? Or how's he going to do it? I, yeah. He's going to start smoking for 40 a day and yeah. uh, drinking a lot of whiskey. Just give Vin Diesel to do the voice. Be amazing. And there you go. That's the end of our little Friday morning Ben Affleck as Batman news sojourn. Uh, and now, a segue. One very, very quick thing. This morning it was announced that Channel 4 have picked up Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So you'll be able to watch that on your tellies at some point. They haven't said specifically when it'll start. But the autumn. 
I really hope it's like Netflix where they're doing Breaking Bad just one day after in the UK, uh, where you feel like you're still kind of in on the action, you're close to the release date. And I know they did something similar for Game of Thrones and Sky Atlantic. Amen. We should also mention the very sad news this week that Elmore Leonard has died. Um, Obviously a hugely prolific, um, hugely brilliant, frankly, author. Um, But his work's inspired many, many uh, Hollywood films. And of course, at the moment, the ongoing uh, triumph that is the TV series Justified, um, which I've been watching a lot recently, so I've been kind of falling in in love a bit with. I know the dialogue isn't all written by Leonard in that case, but it's all very much in his style, and it's it's bloody brilliant. Uh, But, you know, he gave us Get Shorty, he gave us Out of Sight, um, he gave us, what, 70-odd brilliant novels, so so that's very sad news. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, indeed. Uh, which is the rum punch. Rum punch, yep. yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's interesting because he's he's been so prolific over so many years, and he started out as a writer of westerns, and so you know he he wrote Homer, the movie that became the the novel that became the Paul Newman movie, uh, uh, which is a good novel, and he wrote Three Ten, the, the story on which Three Ten to Yuma is based as well. So you you tend to uh, tend to forget that. Uh, yeah, he's a uh, he was an amazing novelist, huge influence on Tarantino, who I remember mm. saying in an interview once stole one of Elmer Leonard's books he used to run in and grab him when he was very young not recently that, that would be bad okay that's the movie news all sorted out now uh, let's uh, move on to our second interview Jason Sudeikis spent almost 10 years as one of Saturday Night Live's most valuable players or if you will as an SNL MVP he's now quit the hit the big screen hard he does so this week as a drug dealer who forms a fake family including Jennifer Aniston as a stripper in We Are The Millers he came into the pod booth to talk to Ali Plum and myself about that his writing process watching Jennifer Aniston strip but first we started off by talking about the Farlow promo he recently shot for NBC Sports, in which he plays hapless Spurs manager Ted Lasso. Enjoy. Yeah, we're delighted to be joined by Jason Sudeikis, the uh, star of uh, We're the Millers. And of course, I was going to refer to you as not Jason Sudeikis, but uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, I would have I would have known exactly who you were talking about. <laughs> I'm, unlike maybe many of the listeners, but I, I would know. I know what's going on. You know what's happening. You know yeah. what's happening. Coach of a uh, short-lived coach of Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, too short. Too yeah. short. Yeah. May I correct you, Chris? It's actually Tottenham Spurs. <laughs> the Tottenham right. Spurs. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, but was that something? How did that come about for you? This is the uh, the viral video to promote NBC Sports Premiership co- coverage. Is that? Yeah, that's what. Yeah. yeah, they're showing every game on NBC Sports in the states. Yeah. Um, I, I assume it was some sort of NBC thing, or 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 possibly. Uh, one of the sponsors, maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I, I never know. But, but eventually, <laughs> someone asks me, uh, like you know, a manager, and and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a really fun idea. I was really flattered they asked, and then brought on a couple of my buddies to to help. They had the, they had the initial idea that what if an American football coach was brought over to coach soccer, for lack of a better word, to make it <laughs> clear to to all the Americans <laughs> listening. No, I, hey, I'm with you. I, I get you. <laughs> Call it what it's called, you know. And we, you know, we have we 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 nailed it with soccer, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. But but yeah, so. Uh, uh, and then we just then we just came up with scenarios and a few a few jokes here and there, but the majority of it was improvised just over you know seven hours one day and seven hours the next and yeah they they uh you know everybody at the at the at the club was you know real nice we we wow. we, we were we were very nice ladies and gentlemen the very first day and then the second day is when I started yelling at more people we <laughs> we, we we came in we came in all very kind and 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 you know we we earned it. And then, and then, yeah, then we got a little rowdy on on the second day. And just one last thing about yeah, that: you have as Ted Lasso, yeah, an amazing tash, yeah. Which I, I was I watching a Letterman interview with you recently, and you had the same tash. So yeah, I kept you it. actually grew it and kept it. Is that? Oh, I kept it for for a couple of weeks. I was I was you know toying with the idea of trying to become you know, uh, you know, a mustached icon in, in the way of Tom Selleck and Burt Reynolds, but uh, I just couldn't pull it off. At some point, you know, my lady was like, "Hey, we gotta." 
<laughs> Let's gotta, have some words. We got to yell. <laughs> Let's have some words, me and the Tash. I like that you, you see, we say stash in the States, yeah. and you guys say Tash. Yeah. See, that, that unsettles me, I'll be honest. Yeah. It's, no. it's much worse than football slash soccer. It's stash. That's just it's yeah, stash. Weird. It sounds oh, yeah. weird. It does. It sounds it does. a little dirtier than anything. It's thing. like you keep stuff in it. It's a, it's a stashy Tash. Whatever Where's the Tash now? Did you uh, shave it and keep it on the wall? Is it framed? <laughs> is it, no. Is it? It's probably just in the drainage system somewhere underneath oh, New York City. All right, right guys, go and find it. <laughs> you know where it is. That's a challenge to you. If you, yeah. fi- if you find it, I, I will sign it. You will sign the Tash. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, sorry, Stash. Yeah, please. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I hate to do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back to the film. Oh, yeah, okay. There's always film? one. Oh. There's always one, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Always okay. one in the podcast. Um, it really always wants to stay on. on yeah, he's a professional. <laughs> there is a song that is really married to this movie, and mm-hmm. it is Waterfalls. Oh, I thought you were going to say Sweet Emotion. It's a bit of that, too. Yeah. <laughs> the whole family, yeah. quote unquote, sing this in the movie. That's right. Do you actually still know the words? I know the the chorus like like any you know decent human being that that was you know around and dancing and doing the Running Man in the in the nineties like I was, yeah. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick, please stick <laughs> to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. I know that you wanna have it your way or nothing at all, but I think you're moving too fast. Wow. That's my. That was, that was an interpretation. Now that SNL is over for you, uh, were you based in New York? Are you still based in New York? Are you, or do you have you moved uh, yeah, there? I mean that's where the bills go. Yeah, yeah. New York still, but <laughs> uh, but we've been we've been in Los Angeles for uh, the majority of the summer. Um, Olivia was working on a film in June and July, and mm-hmm. then and then I've been uh, going around talking about this movie and myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and now we uh, we have a little bit more of that and. And she'll be out this way for uh, for the premiere of Rush, the film that she's in, the oh, Ron yeah, Howard yeah. movie. So yeah. yeah, so it's a little bit traveling throughout August, uh, mm-hmm. but then but then hopefully October, November, December we'll be locked down in LA to do Horrible Bosses too. I was going to ask you just yeah. about that. How about that? But then that's what. So I will. That's a pretty great answer. Then this is brilliant. Me, huh? <laughs> Did you get my notes on segways? Is that no, I, no. I mean, I got it. I didn't look at. it. I glanced at it really quick on uh, when I was taking a dump, but I didn't. I didn't, I didn't really pay. It's the I sign of a good segue. It. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. The sign of the segue is that we've already talked away. Now we got to segue back into <laughs> what we were actually talking about. That was also in his notes, by the way. That, Good, yeah. yeah. yeah he I'm covers a, all bases. The yeah. script's all here. <laughs> and you're about to say... Uh, what do you want to know about it? Perfect. Okay, uh, so my question is, when you did Horrible Bosses, it was a bit of a sleeper for me, like a kind of a hit that kind of just suddenly became a big thing and then yeah. people were talking about a sequel. Yeah. Did you have any idea when you were shooting it, when you were, when you were making it, that this was going to be a little bit of a thing? I, no, I, I just knew that having worked uh, in enough you know, ensembles and with enough groups that what Charlie and mm. Jason Bateman and I were doing was something that I found very, very funny. Uh, and I thought people that I find funny uh, would find it funny as well. And I can only speak towards that. I, I didn't know how well all the elements of the bosses would work because you, I'm, I'm only dealing with two-fifths of the movie. You know, Charlie's in mm. two-fifths and you know, Jason in two-fifths, and there's, that's an extra fifth. So who knows where that, where that fifth's doing now. Uh, that's six fifths, uh, but I would. Uh, that's how good it is. That's how good it is. Yeah, that's all. It's all in the Blu-ray. Um, but we we definitely uh, we definitely were making each other laugh, which is which is the best part of it. So I would say, but a sequel? No, I never would have thought in a million years we we're going to do a sequel. So at what point did it uh, did it start happening for you? Which point did you realize that Horrible Bosses Two was in your future? This is all new, right? All this comedy sequel talk. I guess the the Hangover is, or really is what launched this. I guess, yeah. I mean, right? Like, yeah, you got. Can you think of, I mean, airplane. Come on. Oh well, no, absolutely. Na- airplane, Naked Gun. But I mean, not for years have we really had, especially R-rated comedies. I mean, we didn't get one out of Old School. We didn't get one out of, mm. out of Wedding Crashers. We didn't get one out of like 
forty old virgin. Even even like even like you know knocked up. The closest would be this is forty, but that was turned more you know almost like you know drama esque. You know or mm-hmm. like you know James L. Brooks style. And Anchorman's only coming out now. You're yeah. right. There seems to be a purple patch now when when yeah. when you know studios are going. Well, yeah, we can make sequels out of this. We can turn a comedy into a franchise. Like everybody was talking about the Bridesmaid sequel. Everybody was talking about you know mm-hmm. Identity Thief. I, I yeah, I don't know what I assume that it's it is. The hangover. They can, much like, I mean, I don't think we would have got to do, um, you know, Horrible Bosses without the success of The Hangover. You know, taking mm-hmm. three guys, even though people, you know, a lot of us knew Jason Bateman because he's been in show business for 60 years. But, like, <laughs> even though he's 72, he looks great. He does, uh, yeah. yeah. But he, uh, you know, we didn't really, nobody really knew Bradley and Ed and Zach as well as we do now, obviously. Mm-hmm. And certainly I don't think people knew Charlie and I as well as maybe they do now having watched the movie. So I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's, it, I guess that is what changed it. I don't know. Can you explain the construct of this sequel? Because it is one of those movies when I first heard it was getting a sequel. I went, mm-hmm. how does that movie get a sequel? And part of the reason why I'm looking forward to it is seeing how that happens. I would, you know, say that it's similar to like, you know, Die Hard. You know, like, in, I mean, how does, I mean, he even says it, it's so self-aware that he's like, how the hell does this happen to me again, you know? Uh, <laughs> and You and, just compared yourself to Die Hard. I do it all the time. I've been doing it for years. <laughs> this has nothing to do with show business. This is all ego. This is nothing new to me. But but just in the sense that we enjoy watching, you know, John McClane, Bruce Willis, yeah, you know, yeah. get in and out of problems, that I, I feel like the idea behind the sequel is we, you know, I would say somewhat different than maybe Zach and, and, you know, Ed and Bradley. Like, that that movie, like, them having to figure out what they did, you know, that structure is so great, and they can run around and have so much fun within it. I thought I think some of the joy of Horrible Bosses is just seeing the way the three of us deal with each other, which is a little bit different than yeah, the hangover yeah. thing. They're yeah. dealing with external forces, whereas we are usually bickering with each other. So it's it's the difference maybe between like the Marx Brothers and you know the Stooges. We slap each other, and those guys actually you know <laughs> look cool, and, you know, and get girls, and we're just, and we don't you know except for I guess my character. But I I feel the idea is to see what these three knuckleheads would do in a different situation, but maybe doing. You know other crimes. So they, they they have horrible bosses. They are not the horrible bosses themselves this time around. Mm, oh, I mean, you know. Wait a minute. I tell you what. You know, if you if you have final draft, you know it's it's <laughs> a, it's up for grabs. Whatever you want to do with these guys, I mean, that that would be a great idea for the fourth one. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Because I mean? obviously the third one, there'll, there'll be a, you know, a relationship. There'll be a baby born. There'll be a wedding. It'll be a whole wedding. <laughs> I, I just see a kind of uh, Empire Strikes Back sort of twist where you turn to Charlie halfway through and go, I am your boss. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's write not bad write that down. Write that down. I don't even need to write it down. Yeah. That, that thing r- rang in my core so true, it's been in there the whole time. I can see your, your spine vibrating. Absolutely. Yeah. Incredible. And the last Horrible Bosses question, I promise you. Is it Horrible Bosses 2? Horribler Bosses? Even more Horrible Bosses? Do you have a? Do you know what the title is? On the script that you've got right now, what is the title? It, it was Horrible Bosses 2. Things just got more horrible. Wow. Scoop. Yeah. That last part may have actually disappeared by now. I've unscooped myself. I was, I was literally about to tweet that, but <laughs> tweet, tweet, <laughs> just tweeting the word <laughs> scoop. Yeah, just scoop, scoop, yeah. scoop to come. <laughs> Another other film, Hall mm-hmm. Pass, yeah. had a moment in it that made me kind of cry a bit from from laughing, and <laughs> it is it was at the very end of the movie with Stephen Merchant. I was wondering how he was on set because. Tall, very tall. Was he tall on yeah. set? I always imagine him being shorter on set. No, he's, 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 he's twice as tall on set. Really? Yeah. Okay. I can imagine him doing a lot of improv and kind of thinking on his feet. Were you corpsing a lot? Corpsing? Is that a, is that a term, like for breaking? Is that for, a, yeah, breaking. Oh, it yeah. is. Wow, I've never heard that. Corpsing, that's so dark. So it's British. Stash, tash. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, where's corpsing come from? Corpsing. 
Yeah. Coaxing is, is lolling out loud. I'd love to find out why that why that. I'm on the go, Google. Go, I'm go. on the Google. And I will answer. You guys um, just talk amongst yourselves until I get this. Right. A lot of that was written, but we did get into really good rhythms, uh, like the five of us, because with Owen and I, we had our thing down. Most of our stuff was scripted, but then, um, you know, Larry Joe Campbell and J.B. Smoove and Stephen were sort of this Greek chorus, and with three very, very different styles and voices, and I, 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 it, it worked out, it worked out, uh, you know, well, like I think one of the best scenes to, that showcases that is the golfing scene. Like, uh, you know, we're just all sort of talking over each other. Again, it's not too different than the rhythms we sort of found with Horrible Bosses. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, I mean, he's one of the best writers and brains out there. And he, and he knew exactly, you know, who that character was and what that character was. We shot, the thing that wasn't in the script was, the, are, you, are you referring to the, the bit at the very end of the movie? Like the very the, end. Yeah, that was... That all came after shooting. That was done in reshoots. The reshoot time and money was shooting that little uh, that little piece at the end. Well, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. No, <laughs> I, and I believe, I, I assume that that was Pete and Bobby's idea. I, I'm almost certain of it, or, or maybe the writer, Kevin. Yeah, we had or, and, uh, another Pete, yeah, Kevin and Pete. I, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's so funny. That, uh, it, so much of this stuff is sort of discovered on in the moment on the spot that you don't really, uh, you need a dramaturg to sort of you know, follow <laughs> you around because, uh, you, you know, it's it's improvised, then you forget who owns it. I should just say all any idea anybody has from now on, I'll just say is mine. I said that, and they overheard me, and they took it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. You know, that was me. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Die Hard was that you as well? That was me. Yeah. Yippee ki yay. Yeah, yeah. That was me. Yeah. That's good. Uh, corpsing. Mm-hmm. According to the uh, Wikipedia, originated when a living actor played a corpse on stage. Makes there was sometimes sense. a temptation to try and make that actor laugh. Makes sense. It is also referred to as breaking. Yeah, I should have. I would have. We should have guessed because that's what that would have been my my uh, guess. Not that only the the person more the corpse would just laugh on their own. Like the idea that you had, <laughs> like you know, being you know quiet at a funeral or in church. Yeah, uh, that's great. We literally just had a scene at uh, when Jeremy Renner hosted SNL last year. It was me and Bill. I was a cop. Jeremy was the witness, and uh, Bill was the coroner. And Taryn Killam, one of our uh, you know newer cast members, was the corpse, and it was Bill, <laughs> like. The whole scene became, and it was a very funny scene, uh, but it eventually became about trying to make Taryn laugh as the corpse. So <laughs> I'll have to let, I'll have to see if Bill knows that, knows that phrase and let him know that we're doing it whether we knew it or not. I've got a top tip, <laughs> tickling. Tickling, yeah, that is a good, that is the best way to get a corpse to laugh. You heard it here first, probably. I don't know. It is, you know, it was first. I'd never heard it before. There you go. Yeah, there tickling always makes go. a corpse laugh. Uh, you mentioned uh, SNL there, though, Jason. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is your, the first year that you won't have that in your life. Yeah. Uh, at this not, point. Not ever. Not, yeah, every, not in, in, yeah, no, yeah, for the, for, years, for the yeah. last 10 years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but at this point of the year, in August, what would you be doing? Would you be prepping or what? I would just be getting over um, the the anger and frustration of not meeting my potential last season and now, you know, re-implanting the idea that I'm going to do everything to the, to, to the highest degree of my personal uh, power. Uh-huh. Um, and that would include writing down ideas in my little tiny notebook, uh, many of which probably have have no business being on television, much less <laughs> <laughs> or in my notebook <laughs> for that matter. So I still have the pen and the and the notebook, but we don't but we don't have anything we're not writing anything. Actual yeah. notebook. There's a yeah, no, I'm not yeah, I don't come on these things and bullshit. <laughs> the yeah. sound you can hear is of a notebook. Yeah, see yeah. dry heaving as an ab workout. <laughs> I'm laughing. Why, why not, good. right? Is that uh, a movie or is that a sketch? What is that? That was just that, that's a movie idea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a workout idea. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, oh yeah, see, this is this is barely this thing's barely even started. Yeah, we don't have anything going here. This was an idea that I had. This was from the last. This is the very last episode. It was uh, for Ben Affleck, where I w- where he would play himself and I would play his editor, 
and it's me uh, asking him or gently suggesting that he cuts the scene where he's doing pull-ups from the town. And he really liked that idea. He thought that was, <laughs> but we we wrote it. It didn't, it didn't quite work, and he already played himself in an argument thing. But he, <laughs> but he, it was it was just like, you sure you don't want to, and, and him just constantly sort of, no, 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 it's important to the character. You got to have this, and it was. Uh, he he was improvising great lines. He got it exactly, and per, you know, uh, we just we just didn't write it as well as he could improvise. It, unfortunately, that <laughs> happens. You, know. so you started. He's an Oscar like, winner. You know what do you want? He's from all right. Him? Yeah, yeah. So you started as a writer in SNL. Did you? So mm-hmm. did you continue throughout your ten years? Or? Started and finished as a writer. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> did, did I? What would you ask? Him, did you continue throughout your ten years? Were you, were you writing right now, until the end, or were you very much just a cast member for the last few years? No, I mean, I I definitely uh, wrote from. Um, you know, I, I got really lucky. Uh, got a couple things on the very first two weeks, the first two shows uh, as a writer, and then just a long dry spell. I, I didn't really have a knack for for writing um, for other people. I, I think I'm better at it now, but I think mm-hmm. at that point I had only recently learned or thought I learned that I, to do what I did. You know, so mm-hmm. then to like put that on other people, it, it didn't quite. I, I had a little bit of a disconnect there, and then I got better at it. And then once I was put into the cast, the the writing actually. Uh, you know, once I got to sing one part of the song, I guess you could say, you know, I'm not by no means singing the whole song. I'm not Christina Aguilera, for God's sakes. Uh, you know, I'm more of in the in the you know in the vein of a Harry Styles, one of many. Uh, and he, uh, I'm so hip, aren't I? I pay attention. Aguilera, yeah, Harry Styles. I mean, come on, Google Die Hard, yeah, Die Hard, all these all these hip references. I'm just uh, going to Google Harry Styles. Give me two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean Google? You're just going to you're going to go to your bookmark page. Oh, yeah, he's not my wallpaper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, just going to go to my wallpaper. Yeah, that's all. I'm just going to look at my wallpaper real <laughs> you just, quick. You just let me stare for a few seconds, guys. No, do your thing. That's beautiful. Yeah. Lovely. Perfect. Anyway, face. you were saying. I don't remember. Are you kidding me? I lost my thought with that picture. No, you just sort of, then then uh, the writing actually, you know, happened a little bit uh, a little bit more. And then and then by the end, I, I would only write things that I really, ideas that I thought were um, not just to get on the show, like for me to get on the show, uh, but but like ideas that I thought were weird and odd and things that, that I'd always wanted to do, so... It, 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 I became a little bit more choosy in, in, in what I wrote and tried to improve my shooting percentage, which <laughs> didn't always help, you know, because like I said, we don't always, we try, but we don't always know. <laughs> you have uh, one of us in We're the Millers. Yeah, whom? Will Poulter, who oh, yeah. many people know from Son of Rambo. Other films are available, but he is in We're the Millers and he does an absolutely top-notch American accent. He really does. When did you realize he was English? Yeah, I, we, we, I met him during the auditions. I read with like 12 different young fellows, and I just thought he was great. He's just a good kid, smart kid, sm- much smarter and cooler than Kenny, uh, the character he plays. <laughs> uh, so he's, 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 you know, he's nerding it down for us and also uh, putting on an American accent. And yeah, it's, it's been really fun revealing that secret to, uh, you know, in Q&As after screenings in the States. People are just like, you know, oh, he's great. Where's he from? I go, yeah. That guy's British. <laughs> like they're just that. We, I mean, we torture him through the movie, but uh, he he certainly he earns it uh, every step of the way. So it's really exciting to see someone from you know the audition process to to the you know the, the American premiere at least just kick butt the entire time. So it's and he's a good good guy too. I think killer eyebrows, killer killer eyebrows. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. You can't you can't. I mean, I was going to say you can't fake those, but you actually can. You can, <laughs> fake, you can fake those if you want. One of the few things you can yeah, green screen that shit. Yeah, I've seen lots of lots of you know tall gentlemen and you know walking Christopher Street that are faking those kind of eyebrows in, in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, just find Ted Lasso's old mustache. That's true. Glued above your eyes. That's not a bad. And Bob's your uncle, as you know, they say. If anybody's still down there, just you know, listen to this this podcast and and searching for my mustache and in, in the. Uh, 
you know, watch out for mutant ninja turtles down there. But if you find them, that we can also use them as an eyebrow. Absolutely. Uh, so you, you read with 12 Kennys. Uh, yeah, did you, did yeah, you also yeah. read with uh, 12 Jennifer Aniston's? And what made you give this Jennifer Aniston the, the big break she's needed for so long? Her resume. Yeah. Just her resume, yeah. yeah. When I when I the, the, this this gen, the other eleven gens were great. Uh, all of them, you know, beautiful hair. But like this gen, the one that we got for the movie was, uh, yeah. She just uh, she's really really good at what she does. How awkward was it watching the stripping scene, or was it one of those ones where? As it was being shot, you were like, "This is the most fun I could have." <laughs> the, the the one like the one to sweet emotion, like the one in the in the yeah. The, well, you know, again, movie magic. We only watch. You know, she shoots it for seven hours. Uh, seven it, hours. I don't know how long. I, that's a lot of stripping. Yeah. Well, you had a lot of angles. You know, you got to. I mean, they had to keep refilling the water bucket. You know, there's lots of stuff that <laughs> that happens. You know, uh, change the flint and the in the spark machine. I guess. I, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I only just watched the tail end. We watched, you know, some of the footage just to get the gist of it. But that, that would have been real awkward to be off camera just watching Jen. Yeah, strip, yeah. <laughs> For exactly. seven yeah. hours. Great work. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Let's do it again from the top. Let's oh, go. We didn't put any film. Were we shooting? We messed up. <laughs> we messed up. All right. But, yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, it was a, <laughs> it was a, you know, it was a weird day. I mean, I had the same kind of experience on Horrible Bosses where my character just has to stare at her with, um, what's it called, binoculars through a window watching her eat, you know, hot dogs and popsicles and bananas. I was just like, it's crazy. You don't get paid on those days. You just sort of, <laughs> <laughs> they increase your data plan on your cell phone. <laughs> and then you just, you just text everybody you know and go, ha ha. <laughs> Guess what I'm doing. Guess what I'm doing. <laughs> well, that's a mature and adult response. I think hey, so. You know, it, it, it's not worth. It's, it's. I didn't get into this business to be an adult or anything like that. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. We have to let you go, Jason. We're contractually bound to let you go at some point. Um, so I just want to finish off by asking about. Uh, you've moved on to the big screen now with movies. Um, yeah, are you going to be writing? Is this? Oh, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you, you can't you can't take it out of me at this point. Uh, again, um, Tina Fey's advice to me was uh, when I when I started SNL and I told her I, I, I'm not a writer. She goes, "Well, if you can improvise, you can write." And she obviously followed that that same uh, idea uh, quite quite well. So I, I hope to continue that tradition of people that have come from Second City and then also from SNL. That yeah, we we, we Lauren gave us a really neat opportunity to affect you know, the, the things that we're in, especially comedically, uh, with having the ability to write for ourselves and, and understand what it is that we do. And, and you know, I, I hope to bring that and continue mm. to bring that. That happened on We're the Millers, and, and I, I, you know, I assume it'll happen in Horrible Bosses, too, if that happens. So no reason to stop there. Well, do, do, you have, do you have that screenplay knocking in your, in your drawer? Do you have something no, in the final draft ready to go? No, nothing. nothing. I, I, I merely have, you know, 123 unfinished Un- untitled documents on in final draft. <laughs> well, look. Hopefully, this will happen with you know dry heaving as an exercise regime. Oh, see that? I mean, that's a great title. Yeah. Maybe not regime. I get rid of regime. But... Uh, as exercise regimen. You know what? I don't mind regime. Actually, no, 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 yeah, it's regime as, as a regimen. Yeah, as a po- <laughs> it's a it's a political it's a political movie <laughs> about dry heaving. <laughs> if you're not back here in two years talking yeah. to us about dry heaving as an exercise regime, I'll be very surprised. Yeah, it's going to happen. I feel like it's going to be an indie. I probably won't get to travel as much. <laughs> On that one. Doesn't it feel, it feels like it's going to be me and Julianne oh. Moore and a lot of crying? Right? Harvey's going to pick that up and you know it. Oh, bless yeah, heart. but then he'll recut it and he'll just cut out all the dry heaving. And so. He'll improve <laughs> it. He'll improve it. You know, yeah. I mean, say what you will. He'll improve it. He'll add a, he'll, and he'll make a great trailer and, and, and we'll get Oscars. Everybody, Oscars, <laughs> Oscars for you guys. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, dude, I got you an Oscar. <laughs> Oscar for the barista because this is delicious. This oh, was, man. Yeah, this is fantastic. 
Well, this, uh, this has been an unexpected delight. I didn't expect to get an Oscar for this. Uh, yeah. it's, it's been a pleasure. Jason Sudeikis, thank you very much for coming thanks, in. Thanks for having me uh, on. In. In. Both. Yeah. <laughs> on and in. <laughs> Lovely Jason Sudeikis there. And that's start our reviews section, actually, with We're the Millers. What do we think about this one? There were very, very many funny moments and funny gags in this. And there's a great comic performance from Will Poulter, who, you know, has kind of been catching our eye for years in the likes of Sound of Rambo, but he really comes into his own here and I think he's got a lot of attention in the States, which is great for him. So there's there are many, many kind of good bits about this comedy. My big problem with it was that the form of the comedy, the, the plot itself, is endlessly predictable down to the beat and you could pretty much sit down and write it all before you went in and you can certainly at every point in the movie tell exactly what's going to happen in the next five minutes that's always nice and that yeah that was a bit of a problem for me I mean there, there are great moments in it you've got Nick Offerman and Catherine Han as a, a, a married couple they encounter on the road when they're pretending to be this family and, and that causes all sorts of uh, comedy complications um, and you know their bits are great but it's just so you just know where it's going all the time and that kind of became a bit wearing and so despite you know the charm that Jennifer Anderson has and that Jason Sudeikis has I thought he, he really stepped up in the in the lead role here it was just a bit average it's interesting because this is directed by the man who directed Dodgeball uh, whose name is Rawson Marshall Thurber and I love him not just because of Dodgeball but because he's the man who came up with a short that eventually became the incredibly funny Reebok advertising campaign uh, Terry Tate Office Linebacker which if you've never watched you should definitely watch just go into YouTube and type in Terry Tate Office Linebacker he's the guy who whenever anybody in the office in this office anyway makes a minor mistake uh, like forgets to put a um, cover sheet on top of a, a report shouts at them one example is when he uh, this big black dude absolutely hilarious guy He's uh, I know his first name is Lester sorry for getting your surname screams at this guy who hasn't filled up the coffee pot after he's uh, finished it where he shouts you kill the Joe you make some mo <laughs> I honestly love those shorts and if anybody happened to watch the Snuffbox stuff that I recommended last week do check out Terry Tate Office Linebacker I really enjoyed this film as well um, it, it, it doesn't do like you say anything all that unconventional but it certainly does the job and it's the kind of movie where if you paid your money and wanted to laugh a bit uh, uh, you know at the cinema you'll get that that is there i did find the ending kind of a bit conventional it it, it takes place in an area which is just like oh so you're ending the movie here are you okay i suppose that will do but will Poulter, like you say is a bit of a standout and um emma roberts who is uh, let me get straight is she julia roberts's niece yes she is uh she plays a homeless girl who they pick up and, and form part of the family she's kind of underserved I think that there's a lot of funniness in her and they didn't use her enough I think there's an entire excised backstory with her because they keep making references to maybe she's not as homeless as she appears to be and I I kept expecting there to be some kind of revelation that actually she was a you know rich girl who just didn't get on with her parents or, or there was something else going on there and they never touched on it whatsoever and I, I honestly think on the deleted scenes we're going to see a lot more of her but this, so that was weird I think she's the character who gets least to do and gets least of an arc one final thing on this is that there is a blooper reel at the end of this movie which is very funny so do stick around for that uh, because it's well worth staying around for fantastic and we gave that three stars we did which is a recommendation but it sounds to me like this might be one that you might want to seek out on DVD rather than this is a perfectly acceptable DVD movie yeah, um, yeah if you just haven't spotted it in your local Sainsbury's on the way to picking up a uh, Kinder Egg and a pack of cigarettes do it uh, let's move on now to uh, Lovelace we had Amanda Seafood Seafried 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 we had Amanda on the show earlier on and she's in Lovelace uh, so what do we think of this this is the, the tale obviously the, the tragic tale 
of Linda Lovelace, star of Deep Throat. What's most interesting about Lovelace for me is the way that it tells the story of how uh, essentially a young woman was was discovered uh, and put into this uh, record-breaking, box-office-smashing porn film uh, where, in case you did not know, and just just so you do know, it involves a woman who can only uh, reach climax by uh, performing oral sex on a man. Why is that, Ali? Uh, because of a weird genetic twist that involves her throat. Yes. So Her now... clitoris is in her throat. There it oh, is, come okay. on, Helen. Oh, I don't even know what that word meant. Why did you say that? Anyway, so she... We shouldn't joke, actually, because this, this movie tells two stories. It tells the story which is kind of more Boogie Nights-ish. Um, I'm not going to say jolly, but it, it, it is more of a more of a, a smile uh, is, is, is it's delivered in more of a, a smiley way and then it tells the same story again from another perspective which shows you the stark truth as discovered uh, from anybody who's read the autobiographical books that Linda Lovelace has has written including uh, Inside Linda Lovelace and The Intimate Diary of Linda Lovelace mm. the difficulty with her books is that she has written I think four on this topic and each one has a new perspective where she's kind of changed her attitude and has decided that it's it's terrible or that she's approaching it from a kind of a you know a born again Christian uh, attitude so there is a lot here which is not necessarily hard and fast concrete truth but what's certain uh, about it all is that she was um, essentially uh, abused by her husband who's played here by um, Peter Sarsgaard who both discovers her and, and forces her into being part of this this film which went on to as I say make a huge amount of money but she saw zero dollars of and even he um, his character didn't didn't get that much either so it kind of disappeared into the ether and they still don't know quite where all the money's gone it's a very interesting movie but because it has these two sides to it the tone is never kind of the tone isn't cohesive it doesn't mm. it doesn't keep itself together and at times you wonder because you're watching such horrible things happen and because they're shown from two different sides you don't know how you're enjoying this that much or whether you're learning that much because you're not sure whether what you're watching is in fact true so it's it's it's, it's a difficult tricky film but it's entertaining and it's provocative and there are good performances throughout I feel that we should be congratulating Amanda <coughs> for her work because <laughs> She didn't. This is a very difficult performance to to do to do well, and she does do it very well. And to just casually have to talk about this topic, which is very difficult, and to explain why she wanted to do it and why it's an important topic even now, our attitudes towards women and how they're represented in film. I think there is a good point to be made from this film, but like I say, because it doesn't kind of keep itself together entirely with what it wants to say, mm. it's occasionally tricky to read. Okay, uh, three stars again for that one now. So it seems like a very solid biopic straight down the line. If you're intrigued by yeah. it, check it out. Cool. By the way, that film does have James Franco as Hugh Hefner. So uh, so that's something. That is something. What a year he's had. <laughs> this is his end. Okay, moving on now. Uh, it's a movie that opened on Wednesday. It's the first in a would-be franchise. It's the latest in a long line of Twilight wannabes. But this one's so confident of success that work is about to start on a sequel. It is, of course, The Mortal Instruments. City of Bones. With so, a title like that, how could it not <laughs> succeed? It not One ticket for the Mortal Instruments, City of Bones, please. Helen, how many people will be saying that this weekend? Probably quite a lot, but uh, the question is whether they'll be happy that they did. And, and to be honest, I'm sadly uh, convinced that they won't be. Uh, so this is the adaptation of the first of Cassandra Clare's series of novels. Uh, the novels are fine. They're very readable. Um, they're not the best of the young adult fantasy stuff out there, but they're okay. Um this adaptation uh, for me is is a bit of a disaster though because it really doesn't um 
it doesn't communicate its own mythology terribly well. There's a lot of stuff in, in the movie. I mean, honestly, blink and you will miss the explanation of what the heck Immortal Instruments is. Uh, blink twice and you will miss the entire appearance of the City of Bones because neither is really that central to the plot here and they don't really justify what exactly is going on. So uh, to summarise, Clary Frey, who's played by Lily Collins, um, sees uh, in a nightclub one night, she's there with her friend Simon, who's played by Robert Sheehan. She sees a dude stab another dude and she screams and the dude who's doing the stabbing looks up and is all shocked and that's Jamie Campbell Bower's Jace. Um, But no one else can see him. So she's all a bit like, what the what? And then she meets him the next day and he explains that she is not a mundane, i.e. us, a muggle, if you will, um, and that she can, she's actually must be one of the shadow hunters who are like him who have angelic blood in them and hunt demons yes she I must know. be she, she must, must be. be it's the only explanation uh, so uh, then ridiculous things happen and her mum gets kidnapped and she has to go off and learn more about shadow hunting which you don't really see her do and you don't really see her actually get to grips with any of it and you don't really get a very good explanation of what it is and there's a weird bit where they explain that Bach was a shadow hunter and that his music really annoys demons so there's just bizarre stuff happening and Jamie Campbell, to give him some credit, is, I think, trying to introduce some kind of comedy, some kind of lightness to the script, which it does need, but it doesn't seem to take its own mythology seriously as a result. And so you get this bizarre situation where people have these endless expositionary speeches, and yet you are not expositioned at the end of them. Um, And people, you know, try to give some humour, but all it does is undermine the drama, and people try to be dramatic, but all it ends up being is humorous. And it's, you know, it's it's well executed in a technical sense. The fight scenes are good, the effects are great, but it just doesn't make a lick of sense. We give it two stars. Two stars for the Mortal Bone City of Instruments or whatever the hell it's called but they are, they are about to make the, uh, the, the start to work in the sequel aren't they? Apparently so I mean you know the inter- the mythology does go to some interesting places there's actually a, a, a subplot here where um, there are vampires and werewolves involved because you know always and somebody gets bitten by a vampire and you see that they've been bitten by a vampire and their eyesight gets better in a sort of Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man kind of way and then it's never referred to again but it'll be important in the sequel Blimey. Okay, so two stars for that one, so that's probably one to avoid unless you're a massive fan of the book. Bunch of other films out this week, including Rennie Harlan's The Dyatlov Pass Incident, which is a lot harder to say in a cliffhanger. Uh, Morrissey 25, which is a uh, sort of... Uh, basically, One Direction This Is Us, but with Morrissey instead of One Direction, if you can imagine that. But that's finished off the podcast by making Nick happy. With Jurassic Park on the big screen. The re-release, I should say, because it's now been lovingly post-converted, just as Steven Spielberg intended, into 3D. Yay! <laughs> I Nick, have, this is your favourite film, isn't it? Would you am, say it's amazing? It's not. Uh, well, it's 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 in the top five. Okay, bobbing okay. around there. I've always said Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favourite, but you know Jurassic Park is amazing. I mean, if you haven't seen this film by now, we can only presume you've been living in a generator shed hiding from raptors or something because you must have seen it. But if you haven't seen it on the big screen, uh, now is the perfect time. Uh, they're even showing it at the IMAX. So, uh, Chris, you and I saw it at the IMAX a few years ago. It yeah, is, we did. It is astonishing, the T-Rex sequence, seeing it on a huge screen. And the 3D is actually a really good uh, job. They've done a great job converting it. There's some uh, there's some shots that look amazing. I love the shot of Lex falling through that hatch and the raptor jumping up. That's that's awesome, even without 3D, but with 3D pushes over the edge into mega awesome uh, territory. I yeah, I mean it's it's got everything. This film, it's got big monsters and it's funny. It's got sweet moments and it's got you know people locking dinosaurs in freezers. Samuel L. Jackson's arm. I mean, it's just 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's phenomenal. And I mean, it's got the great, the great late, late great Bob Peck as uh, Muldoon, the big game hunter. Uh, he's hunted most things that can kill you. It's full of great lines. Jeff Goldblum is his most Jeff Goldblumy, I'd say, in this movie. Uh, he's maximum Goldbluminess, and uh, I, I, I like I mean, you. I love um, all but two frames of this movie. You tend to forget with this film that dinosaurs are obviously incredible. The action is phenomenal. There's just set piece after set piece after set piece, but the characters are brilliant as well and I think that's what that's what sets this apart from a lot of other action films and the other Jurassic Park films so far and I hope that with Jurassic Park 4 they are just uh, watching and re-watching this film and just seeing that the, the, the script is phenomenal and um, I really hope Rick Jaffa and Amanda Silver mm. uh, who, who did the uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes mm. I just who are writing Jurassic Park 4 uh, I, I, I hope you know because I really like the script of that film and I hope they're using this as a model. One last thing, Dodgson in 3D. How, how is that? Your friend Cameron Thor as Dodgson in, in three dimensions. How is that? He is a wonderful guy. I was thrilled to see, uh, we did the big Jurassic Park feature in our last issue. I was thrilled to see there was a Jurassic Park fan forum that got very excited that Dodgson uh, was there and speculating he will be in the next film. But Dodgson in, <laughs> in 3D, I mean, it's as great as it sounds. <laughs> he, uh, he sits down in 3D and he looks at a, a pie on a plate in 3D. Yeah. And yeah. then he stands up. No, he doesn't stand up, but he, he just sits there in 3D. It's amazing. He gives a man a shaving can, uh, a shaving foam can in 3D. Yeah. That must be like, that's what cinema was, was <laughs> invented for, I think. As we've mentioned it, uh, the issue with Spider-Man on the front that has an spectacular Jurassic Park feature is only on shelves for another f- six days. It's out until this Thursday, because the new issue's out next Thursday. Well, really Wednesday, so it, it gets yeah. taken off shelves on Wednesday. So you've only got five days left in which to buy that issue. And if you don't, I think we kill you. I think that's that's fair enough. I didn't get the memo from HR, but you might be right. I think it's right. Don't forget, though, if you do have, you know, modern technology and or and or an iPad, you can get it for a little bit longer, i.e., forever. But still, if you want a physical, you know, record, then now is the time to buy. And it will fund my plans to build Jurassic Park Park, as Chris said at the beginning. <laughs> and uh, mosquitoes are really hard to train. I've got a. I'm training them to fly yeah. to LA and bite lots of raptors. Uh, five stars for Jurassic Park 3D, as you might expect. Don't forget, if you want to use our special discount voucher code, Empire9, for Squarespace, our sponsor this week, uh, there will be a more detailed message from me right off the end of our sign-offs, which are just about to start. So uh, do stick around for that so you can get your discount for creating your own new blog uh, or website or online portfolio or whatever. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Quick heads up, The World's End opens in the US this week. uh, Today, in fact. So at long last, our much-delayed World's End spoiler special featuring, yes, us, we're on about it, but also some guys called Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, and Nick Frost, is up on Monday. That's August 26th, so do check that out, as there are a lot of burning answers to burning questions in there. And don't forget to join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by Nat Faxon and Jim Rash, writers and directors of The Way Way Back, and of course, Jim Rash is also community's Dean Pelton. Uh, also, Shane Carruth, director of Primer and Upstream Colour, will be dropping into Baker Noodles, Twist Our Melons, and generally do other unpleasant things to food we just happen to have lying around. Until then, it is goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. It is goodbye from Ali. Uh, uh, uh. Goodbye. <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to replace Augustus Prue in Kick-Ass 3. See you next week. Hello and welcome to the science bit of the Empire podcast where Ali the editor, that's uh, me by the way, tells you a little bit more about our sponsor, Squarespace, and how to make use of their free trial and discount deal. 
If you're not already in the know or missed Chris saying it earlier, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website blog, portfolio, or online store, or whatever else. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE9. But you want more details. I understand that. So just for you, here are a few more reasons why you should use Squarespace. For starters, Squarespace is very easy to use indeed, as well as being user-friendly and doing all the tricky stuff for you, search engine optimization, hosting, and making your site mobile, tablet, portable device friendly. Just for starters, they've also got a huge vault of pre-prepared designs and style options for you to be getting on with and tweak to your taste. Sign up for a year and get a free domain name. Enjoy an on-hand support team working 24 hours a day, seven days a week and all for $8 a month, which you can translate into UK money if you have one of those calculator things, with, as mentioned earlier, a free trial and 10% off your first purchase with the Empire Podcast's very own offer code, Empire9 via squarespace.com. Thank you for sticking around and listening to me talking about our sponsor. If you are even considering making a blog, do give Squarespace a chance because, you know, you listen to the Empire Podcast and you obviously love us. I've decided that. You obviously do. Anyway, thanks for listening and tune in next Monday for the World's End Spoiler Podcast and, of course, next Friday for your regular dose of movie witterings from Team Empire. Goodbye. <laughs>